Well, last week we finished our series in the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and so for the next three weeks, we will be spending our time around the Word of God in the book of Habakkuk. And so if you missed the earlier part of the service, won't you just pause the video now, turn to Habakkuk chapter 1 and read verses 1 to 11, uh, and then continue watching uh, the message. Now, I think Pastor Stewart did a series in Habakkuk a few years ago, but it is a a portion of Scripture which is worth studying afresh. And so even if you do remember, and I hope that you do, all or most of what uh, you looked at together with Pastor Stewart uh, when, when he worked through this section of Scripture, I trust that as we do so again, you will find some new and and fresh insights from God's Word as we look at this together. Now, now Habakkuk is a book which is often overlooked by Christians, and for some, it is simply ignored. And yet, it is a book which probably contains two of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture. One of these is Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4, which says, The righteous shall live by faith. And the other very well-known Portion comes from the end of the book, that hymn of praise, though the fig tree does not blossom and there be no fruit on the vine, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. I'm sure you're familiar with with those quotations. And yet the book also contains many other statements from the prophet Habakkuk, which are very different to to these wonderful expressions of, of faith and hymns of praise. It contains quotations like these. How long, Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or or cry out to you violence and you do not save? Why do you tolerate those who are treacherous? Why are you silent when one who is wicked swallows up one who is more righteous than himself? So this is a book that really exposes us to the the real heart questions of the prophet. But I want to to say at the outset that I hope you're going to see with me that that this book of Habakkuk is is one of the most relevant and contemporary books of the Bible, even though it was written uh, a couple thousand years ago. It's, It's the only book in the Bible which in its entirety is a dialogue between one man and God. There's no one else involved. And so what we are given here is is an extremely uh, intimate view into the inner workings of one of God's prophets and the the dynamic personal relationship that Habakkuk has with God. As a result, this is a very experiential book. Habakkuk bears his soul to the Lord in, in ways which make you and I feel quite uncomfortable at times. He, he lays bare uh, before God his questions and, and his concerns and, and, dare we say it, even his doubts. And so we will soon see that Habakkuk is, is asking God many of the same questions that concern us as God's people today. What is the meaning of history? Why does God not do something about all the evil in the world? How can a loving God allow such bad things to happen to, to good people? Why does, was, why does God purpose that, that Christians, his children, should, should suffer sickness and, and injury and, and death? 
Why does God not save my children or, or my unbelieving spouse? Why does God not do something about the problem of HIV AIDS and, and TB and, and the huge numbers of orphan children in our country? What about COVID? Where is God in, in the midst of this pandemic? And, and don't get me started on the far greater pandemic of abortion. Why does it seem like God is on the sidelines or perhaps he, he doesn't really care? Well, this very short book of Habakkuk takes us on his personal journey of, of questioning and, and doubting God's dealings with him all the way, as we will get to in three weeks' time, to the point where, where Habakkuk sees the awesomeness of the sovereign God of the universe. And ultimately, this journey results in Habakkuk worshipping God with a, a genuine faith in God's unfailing love, in God's chesed covenant love towards his people. And so it is this journey of, of spiritual discovery which makes this book so relevant to us today. How many of us are without questions for God when we look at the world around us? How many of us are without some amount of doubt in our minds as to why God seems to be so silent at the moment? How many of us are not in need of seeing a fresh, a clear vision of the sovereignty of God? How many of us are not in need of having our own faith refocused on the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and his great love and faithfulness towards us? And so as we follow this journey with Habakkuk, I want us to, to look at this first section this morning under the following headings. Firstly, I want us to see that Habakkuk complains to God about the present. And then we'll see in the second place that God answers about the future. So let's start this morning with Habakkuk. Let's kind of enter into, into Habakkuk's world, try and understand something of, of what Habakkuk was grappling with so that we can understand God's response to Habakkuk and, and apply that to our own lives this morning. So let's start where Habakkuk starts, which, if we are honest, is where most of us tend to start, with complaining. Yep, that's right. Habakkuk complains about the present, and we see that in verses 1 to 4. Now, we do not know very much about the prophet Habakkuk or exactly when he was writing, but it is fairly certain that, that he was prophesying to the people of Judah, that's the southern tribes of Israel, just prior to them being taken off into captivity by the Babylonians in 586 BC. So we're talking two and a half thousand years ago. The great Assyrian Empire had um, captured Israel, taken them off into captivity, and then had been conquered in 612 BC. And now there was this new kid on the block, this new world power called the, the Babylonian Empire, also referred to in our, in our chapter as the Chaldeans in verse 6. And this new nation was on the rise. And they were notorious for being even more powerful and more ruthless than the Assyrians who had gone before as they marched throughout the then known world in order to conquer and destroy. But in verses 1 to 4, we find that Habakkuk is not really concerned about the Babylonians, not yet at least. 
He is currently, at the beginning of this book, worried about the, the state of the nation of Judah. Habakkuk, you see, had grown up under the wonderful revival experienced in Judah under the reign of King Josiah. Uh, if you recall, King Josiah had become king at the young age of eight and how he then sought to purify the land of all the idols and all the high places of pagan sacrifice. And, and he restored the temple during his reign. And in that process, they discovered the scrolls of the books of Moses, the law of God. And, and so there was a, a returning back to the word of God and a, a time of great reformation and, and revival under King Josiah. And this must have made a tremendous impact on, on Habakkuk as he grew up during this wonderful time of spiritual and, and national blessing. But after Josiah's death, there followed another string of ungodly kings who showed that the, the reformation under Josiah had been very superficial. The people soon forgot about God. They, they went back to their ways of wickedness and idolatry and pagan worship. And so as we come to the book of Habakkuk, Jehoiakim was on the throne. And we are told in 2 Kings chapter 23 that he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so it's, it's against this historical backdrop of the rebellion of God's own people against God that Habakkuk is deeply distressed as a prophet. He is the, the spokesman of God. And, and so he cries out to God in verse 2. It just seems that, that God was absent from the scene. God was not doing anything. The people who had recently known such spiritual blessing under Josiah had now deserted God. And, and although we know that there was always a, a true believing remnant that remained faithful to God, it, it seems that generally speaking, uh, things were in spiritual chaos. The general population of Judah were persecuting the righteous who sought to remain faithful to God. There was destruction and violence among God's own people. We are told that there was strife and, and contentions were on the increase. And it seems that Habakkuk had been preaching God's law into this situation for some time with little or no effect. He says in verse 4 that the law was paralyzed. And that those who were supposed to uphold the law were doing nothing. And so even the legal system, he says, had become perverted. So we pick up in, in Habakkuk a real sense of frustration. He cannot understand why God is not doing something He'd been praying about this, it seems, for, for some time already because he pleads with the Lord in verse 2. How long, Lord, how long must I call for help and you do not listen or, or cry out to you about all the violence around me and you do not save? Why do you, do you force me to, to look ongoingly, it seems, at injustice? Why do you seem to just tolerate wrongdoing? Oppression and violence are right in front of me. Strife is ongoing and conflict escalates. It seems that Habakkuk had become impatient with God's patience. 
You see, the problem with Habakkuk at this point was, was not that he was questioning God about his seeming absence from the situation. His problem was not even primarily with God's timing. The problem was that Habakkuk was, was looking at the situation around him through human eyes. He did not yet have a right understanding of the sovereignty of God, and so he became frustrated and anxious. So we can already then draw some application uh, from this portion at this point when we consider our own present situation in South Africa today. I believe we can legitimately apply Habakkuk's question to, to both the, the church and to the nation in general. We see so much injustice around us. Violence in the form of, of murder and, and criminal activity. We see political instability. We see corruption in high places. A failure of the legal system to, to prosecute and punish those who break the law. If you look closer at the church, we so often see infighting and, and man-centeredness. We see strife and contentions abounding, church splits and, and things of that nature. Dishonesty, underhandedness. We see the truth of God's law seemingly ineffective amongst God's people. And the preaching of the gospel seems to have so little impact. And so as we look at Habakkuk's complaint to God about the present, we can quite justifiably feel that we are in a very similar place today. We too might be feeling like Habakkuk that God just seems to have abandoned us. And so we cry out to God, where are you Lord? Why are you so silent? And so it's easy for us to, to become anxious. To become overcome with worry. Worry about the economy. Worry about our children's future. Worry about our health. And worry, worry, worry. And, and so we start to question God. We're in a very similar place, are we not? To the place of anxiety and frustration that Habakkuk finds himself. But before we move on to consider God's response to, to Habakkuk's question, I want to just say something here about our attitude in approaching God. And here's the question, do we have a right to approach God in prayer as Habakkuk did in these verses? Can we come to God like this and express our frustrations and our doubts to God? And I think the answer must be a cautious yes. Now why cautious? You see, God never stifles a genuine questioner, a sincere questioner. But we need to be careful here. Because yes, we may question God, but we must be careful not to sin in the process. We must be concerned for, for God's glory and, and God's justice. But we must not sin in thinking that God is failing to act according to our expectations or according to our timing. When God's actions appear to, to not measure up or to not square up against our expectations, the problem is never with God's actions, but always with our expectations. Listen to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. Listen to what Solomon, the wisest man to have ever lived on the earth apart from Jesus. Listen to what Solomon says. 
Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth, so let your words be few. And so there's a, an important distinction that we need to see here between doubt and unbelief. Doubt is the uncertainty that we experience as humans on earth as we seek to understand what God is doing from his heavenly throne. But unbelief is the sin of not believing who God is and what he has promised. And so as we consider Habakkuk's prayer, we see that he has doubts. He, he doesn't fully understand what is going on. And he has a real concern for the, for the glory of God. And that is motivating his prayers. He can't square up what he is seeing on an earthly level. There's a, there's a disconnect between God's promises, uh, God's plan for his glory to be displayed through his people, and what he's seeing on the ground. And so Habakkuk has become known as the expectant prophet because he comes to God with very real questions, very real doubts, very real cries for God to intervene. But he comes expectantly that God will answer according to his character. And we will see this as we continue to work our way through the book. So, Habakkuk has laid his first complaint before God, a complaint about the present situation that the people of God are facing. And now in the second place, I want us to see that God responds, God answers about the future in verses 5 to 11. In verse 5, we see that God breaks the silence. God has heard Habakkuk's cries to him from the very beginning, and now he answers. And I'm sure that Habakkuk at this point wishes that God had remained silent because the answer he got was definitely not the answer that he was expecting. We must never make the mistake to think that because God is silent, that God has not heard our prayers. And we must be even more careful to say things like, well, we prayed for this or we prayed for that, but God did not answer our prayers. Be very careful, says Solomon. Let your words be few. God always hears our prayers and he always answers our prayers. Sometimes God says yes to our prayers. Sometimes God says no. And many times God says wait or not yet. Because he is busy weaving together the fabric of, of world history in order to reveal his perfect glory. And the timing of your and my request may not be right. He is God. He is in the heavens. We are on the earth. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So let us always remember who we are and who God is. Now God responds to, to Habakkuk in verses 5 to 11 with, with some really shocking news. He responds to Habakkuk with a pronouncement, not of relief, not of comfort, but one of future judgment, impending judgment. 
while Habakkuk was, was looking at all the violence and all the chaos and all the turmoil among the people of God in this present situation, while he was actually crying out for restoration and revival, God responds that in the very near future there will be judgment. You see, Habakkuk was part of God's special people who in the majority had forsaken Yahweh. God, going all the way right back to Exodus, had promised that if the people were to disobey God, they would be punished, they would be disciplined. And if that continued and continued, eventually it would lead to them being banished from the land. And so even though there was always a a faithful, believing remnant within Judah who truly did worship God, the nation as a whole had rejected God, had rejected His Word, and so God announces that His time of, of patience, His time of silence is now over, and He was about to act. But in God's response, we already see something of the of the crucial journey that God was taking Habakkuk on. God was saying to Habakkuk, you are worried about the here and the now, but I have a much bigger plan in mind. I have a much bigger picture in mind. My plans are so much greater than your limited understanding of of Judah. And my control over the affairs of this world are are far greater than what you can see. And so God starts the process of, of pointing Habakkuk forward, of lifting his eyes from the immediate situation in which he found himself to see what God was doing. And so he he points Habakkuk forward to the imminent judgment which was awaiting the people of Judah at the hand of the Babylonians. In verse 5, God responds very forcefully to Habakkuk. And he uses four strong imperative verbs or commands. Look at verse 5. He says, look at the nations and observe. Be utterly astounded. Now these four imperatives, these four commands come out more clearly in the ESV. Look among the nations, see, wonder, and be astounded. So firstly he says to Habakkuk, look, open your eyes and you will see me at work. God does not want his people to to live like ostriches with their heads in the sand. And and it's so easy to to get into that mode when when difficult or, or hurtful situations come our way, isn't it? It's one of our safety mechanisms to kind of withdraw into our own little cocoon. But in the process, we lose sight of what God is doing. And just look back over this past year. This has happened so easily during COVID. Just think about how small our world became during lockdown. How kind of one-dimensional it became. And how easy it was to think that well, because church services stopped and youth ministry stopped and this and that stopped, that, that God had stopped working. And so I was really encouraged this past Saturday 
at the, the Bible land edge, compass, leaders appreciation breakfast for, for Lisa to remind all of those who had been serving in the children's ministry during this strange time of lockdown that God has continued to work. And some there shared of the ways in which God had even used our feeble attempts at, at ministry and online videos and all these things during this time to reach many people that otherwise would never have been reached. And so as we look back on 2020, God's response to Habakkuk is just as relevant to us. Look, says God, lift your head up out of the sand and see what I am doing. God wants us to see what he is doing. Yes, even among the pagan nations, across our city, in other churches. It's not healthy for our world to become so small that we miss what God is doing in, in other parts of his kingdom, in other parts of his vineyard. And so God tells Habakkuk to look among the nations. And then he says, see or observe, the CSB says. And, and this is not just a, a repetition of look with, with another word. No, it's, it's a particular form of the verb in Hebrew, which means to, to give sustained and careful and favorable consideration. So God is telling Habakkuk to not only observe with his eyes, but he is to consider with his mind, with his heart, the ways of God. It implies thoughtfulness to the ways of God. Oswald Chambers says, to think is an effort. To think rightly is a great effort. And to think as a Christian ought to think is the greatest effort of a human soul. God says to Habakkuk, I want you to look, I want you to ponder, I want you to think like a Christian. I want you to study my ways. And then God goes on and he says to Habakkuk, I want you to wonder and be astounded. Now, I think the CSB has rightly translated those two verbs here with the words be utterly astounded. And, and this is the way that the Hebrew language often created emphasis was, was to kind of repeat a verb twice. The literal translation is astound yourselves and be astounded. In other words, be utterly amazed. God is saying to Habakkuk that he wants him to marvel at the ways of God. Isn't that such a, a word in season for us who can so easily become familiar with the things of God? That we approach the things of God with a yawn of familiarity. I want you to look, says God. I want you to, to ponder and observe my ways and I want you to be utterly amazed at what I'm doing. Something else that we, we don't see too easily in our English translations is that God here is actually addressing the, the people of Judah as a whole. 
Although it was Habakkuk who asked God the question, all of these verbs in God's response are plural verbs. God is addressing the nation with his answer. He's addressing the people of God. And so God is speaking to us today as his people. And he's saying to all of us, look, open your eyes, consider with your mind, and you will be utterly amazed at what I am doing. God says to Habakkuk, for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told it. God is responding to Habakkuk and to his people. And he says to them, keep your eyes fixed on me. I'm doing a work in your days which will amaze you. It didn't look like that to Habakkuk, and it may not look like that to us, but God is at work. He never slumbers or sleeps. And if only we will look with our eyes and see with our hearts, we will be amazed. I read of an account in my preparation of a man called William Haslam. He was a pastor in Cornwall in England in the 19th century, and and he was converted through his own preaching. Now, he had been in the pastorate for a number of years, preaching every Sunday to his congregation, when one Sunday morning, he was preaching on a portion in the Gospels, dealing with Jesus and the Pharisees. And as he spoke about the Pharisees, he suddenly realized by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit that he was just like one of those Pharisees, and he was converted in the pulpit. Now, he didn't say anything at the time, but there was a visiting minister in the congregation who stood up and said, the pastor's been converted. And immediately there was a a wave of repentance and conversions that came across the congregation that morning. And that was followed by a revival which broke out throughout Cornwall in the next few months. May we never think that God is not working. He is at work in ways which we cannot always know, which we cannot always understand, but God is calling us to look expectantly to Him and to be amazed. How many of us stopped looking to God expectantly during lockdown? What that's done is revealed an attitude that implies that God only works when we are busy with our ministries and with our things. Instead of saying to God, you are sovereign, you've brought the season upon us. Lord, what are you doing? We are looking expectantly to you to be amazed at your work in our midst. So I want to ask you to do something this morning. And that is to pause before we resume our services next week, before all our ministries and youth activities and outreaches and all these other things, good things, before they all kick into gear. I want you to pause and I want you to look back over this past year. I want you to to look and to see, observe, ponder the ways in which God has been at work that you could never have imagined. Perhaps in your own heart, as you look at what God has been doing in your life. Perhaps in the life of a family member or a friend. 
And if you can look back and you can see and be amazed at what God has been doing, won't you drop me an email? Won't you share that with me? And we'll see if we can include some of these accounts in our upcoming Buzz newsletter in the months ahead so that all of us can, can look and see together and be amazed at what God is doing. But now we need to consider what it is that, that God says in response to Habakkuk's complaint. And verse 6 to 11 are, are quite unexpected and, and shocking. God was about to use one of the most wicked and ruthless nations of, of pagans to, to bring about his judgment on his own special people. Now let's just scan over these verses 6 to 11 to, to get an impression of the might and the power and the wickedness of this nation of Babylon. Look, I'm raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that bitter, impetuous nation that marches across the earth's open spaces to seize territories not its own. They are fierce and terrifying. Their views of justice and sovereignty stem from themselves. In other words, they are their own gods. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than wolves. Their horsemen charge ahead. They come from distant lands. They fly like eagles, swooping to devour. All of them come to do violence. Their faces are set in determination. They gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings. Rulers are a joke to them. They laugh at every fortress. They, they build siege ramps and they capture it. Then they sweep by like wind. And pass through. They are guilty. Their strength is their God. It seems terrifying just to consider what this must have meant to Habakkuk and the people of Judah to whom this message went out. But part of the journey that God was taking Habakkuk on was not only to look to the future, bigger picture of God's dealings with his people, but to start to understand that God is sovereign over all things. We must not miss this in verse 5 and 6. It says, look at the nations and observe, be utterly astounded, for I am doing something in your days that you will not believe. Look, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter nation, says God. As, as shocking as the news of this impending judgment was to Habakkuk, God was making it very clear that he was behind it all. He was in control of this greatest world power in existence. And God was saying to Habakkuk that he was actually raising up this nation to power in order to use Babylon as a means to judge his people. So that brings us to the end of the first round of dialogue between Habakkuk and God. And this is not a great place to end, but you'll have to come back next week to, to see how Habakkuk responds to this news from God. But we've seen that Habakkuk has, has brought his complaint to God about the present situation that he was in, and, and God has responded to him about the future. Next week we will see that Habakkuk then has round two. He complains about the future, and so God responds to him about eternity. 
And eventually, in the final week, we will see that Habakkuk gets it. The penny drops. He then understands who God is and what God is doing. So I hope you'll come back for the next two weeks as we continue on this journey with Habakkuk. But what does this section teach us today about God? What should we be learning from this intimate dialogue between Habakkuk and his God two and a half thousand years ago? And I think number one, we learn that God is sovereign. And the sooner that you and I learn this wonderful doctrine, the better for ourselves and for our lives as Christians. And I want you to specifically see that the best place to learn about the sovereignty of God is not when everything is going well in your life. No, it's when things are looking dark, when the future is bleak, because it is in those times that God forces us to lift up our eyes and to look to Him and to see what He is doing. I quoted this before from the Puritan book of prayers, the Valley of Vision, the stars shine brightest when viewed from the bottom of the deepest well. And so just two examples of this to close with this morning. The one is from the Old Testament in the life of Joseph. We know his story well. He was hated by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. Then he was falsely accused of adultery and sentenced to prison. Then his friends in prison forgot about him. And he was apparently forgotten by God. But despite all of these people plotting against him and using him and rejecting Joseph, we see that God's sovereignty shines through the entire story. And at the end of the story, when we look and see and are amazed at what God did in his life, what God did for his people, we find Joseph's testimony to the sovereignty of God shining through in Genesis 50, where he says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the salvation of many lives. And so isn't that a wonderful springboard to the other example that I want us to look at this morning of the most incredible truth of God's sovereignty in all of history, namely the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Nothing can, can ever compare to the, the suffering and the injustice which Jesus endured at the hands of wicked men who nailed him to a cross. But more than that was the wrath of God which he endured because of your sins and mine which, which were laid upon him on that cross. What good could ever come from such an apparent tragedy of justice, human justice and seemingly divine injustice? And yet the Bible makes it clear that everything which happened to Jesus happened by God's express foreknowledge and purpose. That what evil people intended for harm, God purposed to bring about the true, eternal, spiritual salvation of many. Jesus' submission to the sovereignty of God in his life, to the sovereignty of God in all the circumstances of his life, is the light which God wanted Habakkuk to see. And to be ultimately amazed. 
It's the light which God wants us to see this morning and to be utterly amazed afresh as we then willingly submit our lives to his perfect and sovereign rule over us. So as I close this morning, where else would you rather be today than to be a child of this sovereign God of the universe? Think about that. Don't think Australia. Don't think New Zealand. Don't think America. Where else would you be than in the sovereign providential care of the Creator God? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this word that comes to us from two and a half thousand years ago. A different place, a different era, a different geographical location. And yet we see Habakkuk grappling with the very same things which grip our hearts as your people here today. And we want to thank you for this reminder that you are the sovereign God and that you are at work. Oh, we praise you for the fact that you have never stopped working, that the pinnacle of your work was the sending of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to procure our salvation. And now you continue to work out all things for ultimately our good and His glory. And so we look to you, Lord, from our human perspective, and we must confess that our words are sometimes many, and we speak as fools do against your sovereignty and, and your wisdom and your knowledge and your purposes and your plans. We ask that we would afresh today submit our hearts and our lives to you and your sovereign work in our lives. That we would look and see what you are doing not only in us, not only here at Honeyridge, but in our city and in our country and across the world. And that we would be amazed that you would receive all the praise and all the glory for who you are and what you are doing. Forgive us, Lord, for so often being so inward-focused, inward-looking, that we miss all that you are doing around us. And therefore, we are, are such weak vessels of, of shining your glory and, and your truth and your light to the world around us because we have not seen what you are doing. Oh, Lord God, give us eyes of faith to see and to understand what you are doing, that we would be bold witnesses, bold ambassadors uh, of our sovereign God to the world around us. For we pray this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Well, let's come to close our service this morning with the singing of our last song, which reminds us that our sovereign God's plans and purposes for our lives are bound up in Jesus and in his great salvation that has been given to us as his people. Let's look and see and be amazed at Jesus afresh today as we then look and, amaze, and are amazed at what God is doing in the world around us. Next week, uh, we will see those of you who can join us at 9 o'clock or at 6 o'clock. And for those who cannot yet uh, meet in person, uh, the recorded service will continue to be made available to you a little bit later in the day. May God bless you in this week ahead as we go out 
and look and see and are amazed at what God is doing. Amen.